0: Hello, and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're now in season two of the 100 Masked Men series, where I anonymously interview different men from all walks of life about what masculinity means to them, gender expectations, and how that affects how they interact with women. This month, we're taking a special focus on men's mental health, sponsored by Tether, the world's first online peer-to-peer support community connecting men for open and honest conversations about life. And this week, I'm challenging the judgment we receive from ourselves and others when we don't follow the path that's been set for us. Masked man number 38 is a divorced man. This is the first man so far that has come on the show sharing his divorce story openly and honestly with me. Isn't that crazy? I've heard a million divorce stories from women, but barely anything from the other side. And what I find truly refreshing is hearing about his journey to self-love and how important it was to feel safe among other men in order to express himself freely and express vulnerability. Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the show.
1: I was born in South Africa. That's where my accent is from. Um, and I grew up there. I was there for probably the first 29, maybe 30 years of my life. And um, after that I moved to Canada, first to Toronto and then to Vancouver. I grew up in South Africa where um, just after the apartheid era, um, so the country was still healing and is still to this day. But growing up in an environment like that, I grew up with a lot of fear I grew up in a, in a place or in a culture where emotions and um, feelings was never okay for a man to speak about. It wasn't something that was modeled um, by any, any other man that I grew up with, definitely not by my father or his father. And so it is something that I needed to get accustomed to and really learn once I got to Canada. I'm really grateful that I do have the ability to learn about it now and really step into that realm for myself. But growing up, it was something that was almost taboo. It felt as if um, I'm I'm not a man if I do have feelings or emotions. Um, It's not okay to show any of those either. Um, And the result is, is that I grew up very inarticulate when it comes to communicating what feelings and emotions that I'm going through even though I was experiencing it. And the the distance that I had from feelings and emotions and the inability to articulate what is going on with me, um, really what happened is, is that it, um, it made me feel distant from other people. Um, it made me feel distant from other men because it's something that is really important to me and it's something that I can't articulate or communicate about. We weren't... We weren't all that close. Um, I think there was a lot of pressure on me as the eldest to be a certain way, or at least that's the way that I internalized it growing up. And um, my siblings, to this day, I feel a little bit disconnected from them now physically as well, because they're on the other side of the planet. But to this day, I feel a little bit distanced from them uh, because of the way that, or because of the pressures that was on me. Um, to be a certain way. And I think it came from the fact that my, my parents also didn't know what they were doing. Uh, nobody has a book for this. Nobody has a book for raising your children. You kind of just have to figure it out as you're going along. And um, now being a dad myself, I realized that you can have good intentions and just hope for the best and do your best uh, and then hope that it's going to realize a deep connection with your, with your kids.
0: Um, thank you for sharing that. I think it's, it's interesting how you said that it began with a fear of if you were to express yourself emotionally, then, you know, there was a taboo attributed to that. Like, do you think, have did you see any examples of like, you would get in trouble for that and that's why you didn't do it? Or is it just like, there was no examples at all. And then you weren't, you didn't learn how to actually practice it. So when the time came to it, you just weren't able to articulate it. Was it more like just not knowing and that unawareness, or was there actually some kind of consequence involved that you might've seen from from other male figures?
1: I think it's, I think it's a combination of the two, um, definitely because it wasn't modeled. It's something that I didn't really know how to do. And growing up from a very young age, I internalize certain things that happen to me. So if, if a two year old or a four year old is going through their emotions and they're trying to figure out what this is, if they, for me, for instance, um, I was, I was physically abused. I was hit whenever I showed certain emotions. So if I was going through a tantrum or if I was overexcited and very happy, I was hit by my parents. as a way to calm me down because of the situation that they were in. Um, And that's something that I internalized as happiness is bad. Anger is bad. All of these emotions that comes up that makes me human is bad because the end result is pain. And that's how I internalized the traumatic events of being physically abused as a result of it.
0: Wow, that's that's crazy. I mean... It's interesting when you see different generations that that was kind of the norm, you know, and it was actually, Mm -hmm. I mean, depending on which parents you ask, you know, there would be positive explanations for that, or it was just the rule that people had, right? it was just Mm -hmm. what people did without question. So when you did end up meeting other people in your life that demanded or requested some form of emotional expression, and you weren't able to articulate that since you're going to immediately... Relate that to pain and and put your defenses up. How did you end up opening up to to start expressing that differently? Did it did you require um, displacing yourself and moving to Canada? Do you think uh, location had a lot to do with it?
1: I think location had a lot to do with it. I I never felt at home in my home country. I felt like there was something different. There was I wasn't at home in my home country, and it's because of who I am. Um, I didn't know it at the time. I just knew that I didn't feel at home there. And so I was searching for a different place um, because of the, the way that I grew up in South Africa and the circumstances, the political circumstances. I definitely needed to leave and I wanted to leave because I wanted to be free. I wanted to be able to express myself. Uh, I wanted to have, I wanted to live in a place or a part of the world where I can feel safe and where I can ensure that my family that I would one day have is safe as well. And so I think that was a big decision for why I wanted to leave the country. But definitely Mm. when it came around to expressing emotions and the request for it, I think the stuck emotions that I have within my body for the last three decades, up to the point that I actually started to expressing it, has taken a real toll, toll on my mental and emotional health because i i realized as well that these emotions get stuck in the body that's i've heard it a couple times where they say that emotions is just energy in motion and if you don't release it if you don't process it it gets stuck in the body and it metastasizes into other ailments it metastasizes into mental health conditions it metastasizes into psychosomatic experiences in the body and I feel way more healthy um, as I am releasing more emotions and as I am articulating it more and as I am allowing myself to feel more.
0: I think that's really interesting how much of a physical aspect is attributed to emotions. Everyone kind of thinks that Mm. emotions are invisible and it's just something you feel and then you act out differently and the acting out is more performative or something unrelated to emotions and I think crying has always been a point of contention for people in in the sense of like don't cry because crying makes you weak or crying is an expression of of emotions but Mm -hmm. I think crying has a really cool demonstration because at least when I experience crying or see other people cry I think it's pretty addictive and or contagious in the same sense of laughter You know, and I think all emotions are pretty contagious depending on, you know, how, how you express them. If they are contagious, then there's an uncontrollable aspect to it. And regardless of which expression it is, you know, there's a, there's a release, um, like Mm -hmm. you said, that kind of needs to go and actually pass through your body. And I think it's when we actually stop those gates, you know, close those gates from, from flowing is, is when we experience that conflict because it's it's unnatural at that point right
1: yeah and it feels it feels unnatural as well i like the the analogy that you used about closing the gates because you just keeps it you you just keep it stuck inside the body if you do that and that's not natural i think that we have a physical body and we have a mental body and we definitely have an emotional and spiritual body as well and the way to connect to the emotional body for me is to acknowledge the emotions that i'm going through i think a lot of the inner work that I've done, um, since I got divorced a couple of years ago, focused a lot surrounding the emotional body and the expression of emotions. Initially, when I went through my divorce, the the first two or three months, it felt like freedom because I had a lot of emotions that was stuck inside my body that told me that the, the relationship wasn't working out for me, but because of past conditioning, I stuck with it. And, um, So the initial experience that I had was freedom and I could express myself. I could get in touch with my needs and who I am, but I didn't really have any guidance there. So the end result was too much freedom, drugs, alcohol, which turned out to be a way for me to actually avoid what is actually going on in the emotional body. And it took a couple of months before the emotional body within me finally Say that, you know what, we can't go any further. This is too heavy for us to carry and we need to release.
0: Yeah, I think that's crazy. There's like an emotional hangover that we don't realize is there. You know, there's that that initial, hey, we're free, we're doing something different, and you're excited and happy that there's just change, mm-hmm. right? And you're hopeful for that. And then that emotional hangover comes over and you're like, ah, oh, like there's all these additional <laughs> things that kind of come afterward, right? And I think it's 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 interesting because you can't you don't know how long that time is you know from the drunkenness of like you know there's change and anything mm-hmm. is better than what used to be I've, I've done a lot of research on how men perceive relationships and you know when they do get divorced it's it's like oh I can finally start being me again so why do you think that's the initial response because if you were in the right relationship and you had the right companionship and you were able to express yourself properly and freely, you wouldn't feel like you were suddenly becoming free. You would have been free the entire time. So do you do you think you were holding back a lot in your previous relationship?
1: I think my previous relationship, I was in a relationship probably for about 11 or 12 years. And uh, so it started very young. It started at an age where I'm still trying to figure out who I am. And it started out in a country where I wasn't really allowed or didn't really have the platform to do that or the role models to that would enable me or support me through that and so stepping into a relationship like that that came from a lot of childhood wounding where abandonment was on the forefront of it i was very happy to step into a relationship i was very happy that somebody chose me at the same time as well and so in order to stay, in order to stay in that relationship, I think I I hid a lot of myself unknowingly at the time, but I hid a lot of myself. and I internally rejected a lot of myself because I haven't really healed from a lot of wounding that happened growing up. And by doing so, I never really felt comfortable.:
0: I think it's interesting that you said that there there was that fear of abandonment and and just like you were grateful to have someone that wanted you back, right? So it's more of a a security thing, but then there's that scarcity of that, of like, oh, if I'm not with this person, then potentially I'd just be left alone and you don't want that. So you might as well stick it through, Uh right? So how, how has that mentality mindset changed since, since you've kind of underwent a whole relationship realizing like, hey, there's, there's more to it. I can actually have it all rather than thinking, Oh no, I'll, I'll just protect the asset, which is this relationship, because I'd rather that than nothing at all.
1: So I think um, the first step for me was a lot of mourning, a lot of grief that I needed to process because the, the end of a relationship is the, the end of many things. It's the end of a dream. It's the end of a mindset. It's the end of a future that you envisioned that you were working towards. And in that, obviously there is a huge amount of emotions that needs to be processed but once, once I did that, I was left kind of with a blank canvas. It's like, okay, so the question started coming up of who am I? What do I want? And in that, there is the identification of a lot of needs. So it really starts, it really propels you on a journey of, of self-love because you need to start identifying what your needs are. And in identifying what your needs are, there is the possibility that you might be rejected for those needs by other people. But you do have the choice then. Do I love myself or do and stand in integrity with what that means? Or do I give away and lose myself yet again in another relationship so that I can feel unhappy? And so once I went on onto the journey more of self-love and compassion towards myself, it started opening up. Um, and providing the answers of what is my actual needs, and then I think a, a big, a huge supporting factor to a journey like that is having people surrounding you that love you no matter what, in the form of friendships, in the form of people who are curious about who you are and who you are becoming, because I think that that gave me that gave that that gave me a sense of safety in order to step into, okay, well, the, the, these are my needs. And then bravely stepping into that and courageously, say, and courageously stepping into what my needs are as a form of loving myself and getting to know myself better again. I think um, I mentioned as well about the abandonment wound. The abandonment wound started for me when I was two years old. And I, I internalized at that age that there is something wrong with me, that I need to be that I am not good enough and it's, it has really directed my entire life and my decision-making to say that in order to get love and affection and support and all of these other things I need to be, I need to perform. I need to be strong. I need to be stoic. I need to not show any emotions. I need to not show any feelings. I need to be a rock. That's how I internalized it from the age of two. And once I got exposed to all of these emotions and feelings and was forced to really work through it, that's when I realized that the only way that I'm going to be happy for the rest of my life is if I, if I start loving myself. And the only way that I can really love myself is if I'm completely honest with who I am and what my beliefs are, my values, and what it is that I stand for.
0: I love that. I it, isn't it so interesting how you would look at romantic relationships as a, a way to perform and demonstrate as a way to receive love when it should be a demonstration of the love that you guys share together of you know two whole people coming together and deciding to share life together. And in your journey of self-love, how did you have to shift those old views of what it meant to be able to be deserving of love? You mentioned that you needed a community, you needed to feel safe. You know you, you didn't you needed to be in a space where you weren't performing or doing things that are outside of your authentic self. So how is that journey for you? How long did it take for you? and what kind of support did you need along that journey?
1: That journey took probably about two years to get me to where I am. and um, it's by no means finished. It's, uh, I think it's a lifelong journey where I need to constantly check in with myself to check in with where I'm at, how I've grown, and whether or not my needs have changed or whether or not I've discovered something new about myself. So it starts with curiosity about the self and awareness for what is going on in the physical, mental, and emotional body. And um, I think one of the one of the biggest supports that I had was joining a was joining a men's group. Because by joining a men's group I was allowed or I was exposed to a lot of inner work which I was not exposed with growing up. It's, it. it just opened up my awareness to a whole different world that I wasn't aware of before. Um, so definitely joining a men's group has been integral to my, my journey towards self-love, but, um, it was, it was instrumental in the fact that I got triggered quite a lot when I was in any of these meetings with, with other men and, in that discomfort and being triggered, it took me a long time, probably about a year, year and a half to realize that I'm triggered for a reason. This discomfort is showing me something. It's either showing me that, it's, that something doesn't align with my values or that I haven't been completely honest with myself about something or that I am allowing other people to continuously abuse me verbally because I still believe within myself that I am not good enough. And once I have that awareness and once I can realize it and see it for what it is, then I have the opportunity to make changes in my mindset, to make changes in my behavior and in my environment to show me that I love myself.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing. I think it's really interesting learning about men's groups and noticing that there's so much unavailability of peer-to-peer support from men between yeah. men, you know, if you think of just traditional locker room talk, it's, you never talk about feelings. You never share stories. You never can say like, oh, I, I share that similar experience. It's always like, I'm doing a, you're doing B, someone else is doing C. And then you, you know, size each other up and see which one's better. And it's, it's always um, competitive in the sense of who is doing better, who is more worthy of this or, or that. Right. So how did working in in men's groups and starting to channel your emotions and speak more openly about that, change your relationships with other men?
1: I think um, you mentioned something very important, the comparison. Comparison is something that came up for me in very insidious ways as well. And it, it comes up because I want to feel safe. It comes up because I want to have a sense of belonging. And in order to belong, I believed that I need to be a certain way. I need to show up in a certain way as a man in order to belong to a group. And that comes from this deep internal need within myself and I believe in a lot of other men that we too want to feel safe. We too want to have support. But we internalize it sometimes that in order to get support, in order to get love, in order to feel safe in the company of other men, that we need to perform or be a certain way. And unfortunately, that that distances us from having the real conversations, connecting real on a deep, meaningful level as well. so I think that um, one of the bravest things that I've done since my divorce is opening up more and more to a select few of a select couple of men that I trust deeply and by honoring myself and what I'm going through and sharing openly and vulnerably about what is going on for me. I build the trust in, in myself that way. I show myself self-love for the things that I am going through. It is incredibly, it was incredibly difficult to do that, but it was a, the decision for me was either you do this and you feel whole and seen for who you are and what your experience is or you can hide away. And I think the the result of that was that it's, it's inspiring when we tell our stories, it's inspiring when we start opening up about what it is that we're actually going through and what our experiences and our views of life is. Because the stories, the messy parts, the vulnerable parts is what is actually connecting us. It's not comparing. Comparison doesn't connect us. Showing a different mask of who you believe people want you to be is not what connects you. That may give somebody inspiration to want to be like you, but it doesn't give you deep levels of connection.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think sometimes society makes us aspire to be something that we're not. And then we keep trying to become the poster child of whatever society is trying to tell us to be. And then every time we fail to do that, we end up internalizing that with how we view ourselves when all of us are unique in the way that we are. And the best part about us as humans is connecting, right? So how, how would you say what self-worth means to you um, in terms of finding that self-love, creating better relationships with people, connecting to your own emotions, better practicing that communication and vulnerability, and how has that contributed to your overall happiness and and living a fulfilling life?
1: I think it comes with honesty. I've heard the the term brutal honesty quite a lot, but I don't think there needs to be anything brutal about it. It can just be radical. Honesty with myself and my feelings and my emotions. Honesty with other men about what I'm going through. It takes a lot of courage just to be honest. But when you're honest, you're being vulnerable because you're telling your story. You're sharing what it is that you that may make you come across as weak. But the only thing is you're just being honest. And being honest with yourself um, is a strange feeling sometimes because you're going into realms that you may have rejected about yourself. I think for me, um, growing up, I've, I've rejected a lot of myself. I've rejected the way that I look because I was bullied as a kid. I've rejected my own feelings and emotions because I was hit as a kid as well. I have rejected a lot of parts of who makes me me in order to have a sense of belonging. But what I realized once I started to open up more and share more of who I am and what I'm going through, my feelings, my emotions, my thoughts, is that it inspires others and it brings them closer to you. So as a result of doing it, I've got the deepest, most meaningful male friendships that I've ever had in my entire life. And I grew, up extreme, I grew up feeling extremely lonely.
0: I think that's crazy, right? Like how many times, if you think back to your old friendships and you thought these were meaningful relationships, but you were so lonely and so deprived of Mm. certain types of intimacy with other people. Right. And like, Mm. maybe you don't even know what honesty was at that point because we are always lying to each other and ourselves Mm. that we don't even know what's the difference, you know, and you you really have to go through all that time to unpack where, where the lies come from and which ones did you start to believe? Right.
1: Yeah. And I, that's what I mentioned about the, um, the abandonment mood as well. Because it's been with me for, from such an early age. That's how I internalized the, internalize the world. There is something wrong with me. And so I need to change in order to fit into this world. And unfortunately, growing up in the environment that I did and in society, it's around every corner. It's on every magazine of what a man should be. It's on TV and Hollywood and everywhere of what a man should be. And unfortunately, there is... I've found that there is a lot of men who ascribe to that, but there is also a lot of men as a result of it who don't feel like they're being seen. And if you don't feel like you're being seen, then you can't feel like you truly belong because you're not being open. You're not being honest.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a point of contention there of like, well, does it matter? Because as long as they're seen in society as, you know, performing in the right direction so when you, when you kind of veered off the path of the norm, what kind of judgment did you get from other men that you know still believe in, in following what society deems as the, the way that men should act and, and look like and be and and how did you navigate around that conflict?
1: I think um, one of the most dangerous messages that I received and most, most of the work that I did was after my divorce. So it, it comes from a place of uncertainty. It comes from a place where I didn't know who I am or what I believed in anymore because I was questioning all of these things. And when you go through a transition like that, you're very open to what others say about you. You are very open about how others um, say you show up in the world. And in that, it's, it, it can be incredibly dangerous because you can internalize more things. You can make it your own. And I think one word that came up for me quite a lot was the word should. It triggered me very, very much. You should do this and you should do that. And for me, going through a journey of self-discovery and self-love and self-acceptance, I wanted to be celebrated for stepping into this realm, for being me, for being the man that I am, and if you're not celebrated and you get messages of should then it's it's a very contentious it's a very contentious environment in order to grow in i don't think now off the top of my head i can't really remember any of the messages that came my way i just can i can just remember that it triggered me quite a lot and it took probably a year and a half for me to realize that if i am open to these negative messages, if my garden, so to speak, is fertile with a soil that allows these messages from these people or these men to be planted, I'm going to believe that about myself, just like I have believed a lot of things about myself growing up. And so having one or two really supportive men that show me or celebrate certain things about me when I don't celebrate certain things about myself Really helped me step into the realm of that. I think um a lot of the work that I did involved honesty, like I said, um, but being truly openly vulnerable with other men. I know off the top of my off the top of my off the top of my head there is what one maybe two that I've really cried in front of, and it is extremely extremely powerful when something like that happens. Because you're truly seen. You're seen to the, to the level that you're actually felt by another person. And once the guards and the, the gates that you mentioned and the walls go down surrounding that, you're completely vulnerable. You're raw. You're open. You're open to be judged. You're open to be shamed. And so telling your story to the great person who's not going to judge you, who's not going to shame you, But who is going to support you, I think that is incredibly important. And I'm very lucky that I have I've had the opportunity to do that a couple of times.
0: Yeah, I I think that's really important, that openness, you know, that you can be open to to both to many aspects. You know, you can be open to people that are going to support you and lift you up. You're going to be open to those that will tear you down and and requiring that self-awareness to protect yourself and and choose the right mm-hmm. people to surround yourself with right can i ask mm-hmm. you if you're open to um, sharing what yeah how did the divorce happen you know like you know who started it how long into it did it come from did it spur up from one initial argument or was it like a collection of a bunch of things that connected together
1: i think now looking back at it hindsight is always 2020 but it started with the it started with the honeymoon actually we were married for quite a couple of years after that still and um, there was a lot of indications throughout the marriage that this isn't right but i ignored it because my conditioning was that you make a decision and this is it you're going to stay together for the rest of your life and that was a dream that i had as well i mean the In the back of my mind the dream was that we'll be chasing each other down the retirement home on our wheelchairs someday right so that was the the hollywood dream that i had in the back of my mind wow and it yeah it didn't happen it didn't come to that and so closer to the end of the relationship is where we really started to not see eye to eye and since i was in canada i was able to reach out to a couple of influencers and people and get some information. Because I was going through a growth, I was going through a growth state where I started to question all of this. I've just joined the men's group. I'm getting exposed to a lot of self-awareness, but something doesn't feel right within me. And so that's when I started asking the questions to myself of, "Is is this real? Is this the way that I want to feel for the rest of my life? Because I'm not happy. And my wife at that time was also not happy. She was very verbal about it. I wasn't, I internalize stuff and I keep it to myself, but she was very verbal about it. So it came out that, um, her, her, her words to me was that she doesn't love me anymore and that she doesn't want to have kids with me anymore. And I tried to work on the relationship through online courses and stuff like that, even went to go and see a a therapist but it didn't come to, it didn't want to grow any further. And growth is extremely important to me because I know that I'm not going to be the same man I am today that I am going to be a year down the road. And so that's how the the relationship ended. Even though the, the relationship afterwards is not contentious whatsoever, but I did need to put up a, ba- a couple of boundaries in order to ensure that I can actually heal, that I have the space from the relationship in order to heal as well.
0: That's, that's crazy that you already knew that it wasn't working out, but you wanted to remain committed as, and you know, I'm assuming that's kind of just the role that you wanted, you thought you needed to play in fixing things or having solutions to things and other masculine traits of following every single option to, Mm -hmm. to solve, solve the situation. And yet it seemed like the one thing that might have got you to either resolving the situation faster or, you know, not even doing it at all is if you actually just communicated what you actually wanted rather than Mm -hmm. just, you know, taking what someone else wanted and then following that person's desires until they decided they didn't want it anymore. And obviously that's going to contribute to like low feelings of self-worth because someone just took you and then discarded you when they were done with you right Mm -hmm. so how do you now see relationships how do you choose yourself first and and are aware of that now because i think this is like you know it's crazy that it happens now that we're finally choosing ourselves and thinking like okay actually what do i want that's going to make me happy instead of like just waiting for anyone to knock at your door right
1: yeah absolutely i think um After the relationship, after all the healing, and the healing still continues, because I mean, the end of the relationship just opened up old wounds, wounds from when I was two years old and four years and 16 years old. So there's a lot of healing and self-awareness and growth that came as a result of it, post-traumatic growth, if you will. And after that is when I made the decision that stepping into a new relationship, communication is extremely important. And you're being vulnerable and honest and open when you do that as well. So it's scary. You're, you're putting yourself out there and seeing whether or not another person is going to choose you for who you are. But you do have the choice there to once again, self-reject and self-abandon by not doing it and feeling unhappy possibly for the rest of your life if you wanna look at it that way. Or you have the choice of completely showing who you are and stepping into that vulnerable and open realm, and truly feeling what it means for somebody to accept you for everything that you are. And I mean, that sounds way more appealing to me than the first one.
0: Yeah, that's so brave, you know, and I think that's like, that's what what we could appreciate more of, you know, like someone actually having the bravery to express themselves completely authentically. Like if you look at children, you know, they've always had that. They didn't, they're not scared yet, you know, until (laughs) society's expectations come in to play. I want to wrap up with this one question to you. I think it's interesting that, you know, you're finding a lot of support among other men, but when you then mix that with women, I think women still have an expectation of wanting men to be the masculine man that they perceive to be, just hopefully not toxic, but they still want that stoic man that's going to be the protector and provider for them. And some women, I would say, are uncomfortable with actually seeing male vulnerability happen. They might request for it, but when it actually does happen, they might reject it just by by maybe their own on inability to practice it because they've also not flexed that muscle, right? So what would those, what do you think are the biggest challenges of communicating male vulnerability to women?
1: I think it's, um, first and foremost, I needed to realize that there is both, I refer to it as the primal and divine, the masculine and the feminine. There's both of those qualities within myself. I need the divine in order to to comfort, to show compassion towards myself, to love myself, to heal myself. But I also need the primal vigor in order to move ahead in my life, in order to set goals, in order to meet them, in order to stand in my own integrity, in order to protect myself, in order to protect myself from my own inner thoughts, and so I needed to realize that I have both those qualities within myself and that I can move in between those qualities quite freely. And I think that's what allowed my, I'm, I'm in a relationship now. And what allowed me for, to be really in that relationship so far is the fact that the, the person that I'm with, she also realizes that she has both male or both masculine and feminine, both the primal and divine within herself and that she can move within those. So I think um, showing up vulnerably to another person, to a woman when I'm in a relationship is extremely important because the only way that I'm really going to have real connection is if I'm being seen for everything that I am. And I'm still a man. I'm still a man if I cry, I'm still a man if I'm upset or if I don't know where I'm going I'm still a man. If I'm on a journey, I'm still a man. If I'm trying to figure out who it is that I am and what I stand for. And what makes the next relationship really great is if you can step into the realm of realizing that not everybody's got everything figured out. If you can meet each other where you are at and realize that as another human being, you still have things that you need to figure out. You're still going to grow. You're still going to change, and just allowing that level of compassion for the human condition. I think that is great. So it's about perspective.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that humility of you know we all have both both parts inside of us, right? And we can both tap into both ends. It's not one person has the other side, and you know one completes the other. Yeah, it's it's a, it's that continuous balancing act, and like you said, just making sure that you're completely seen. Cause I think for a long time, I think we've made ourselves invisible because we've been wearing all those masks and trying to be anybody else than ourselves. Right.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely.
0: I want to, I want to wrap up with one last question. So I know we, we covered a, a lot of topics and, and thank you for sharing your story. I think it's, it's very refreshing to, to be able to speak to someone so openly and honestly about, sensitive topics. And I think it's good to to hear more examples of that. And, and like you just said, to admit to the fact that like, we don't, that the journey is still going. We don't really have all the answers, but we have some, and at least you have the approach of, you know, you're, you're seeking happiness instead of duty or commitment or loyalty or any of these other descriptions of what people should be doing. Right. So what out of all these topics that we spoke about today resonated with you that you would like to invite another man to speak about further in another episode on the show?
1: I think, um, I think the word should is a very important thing because should comes from the premise of if, if you are not the same as I am, then you are different and therefore we can't get along. If it's met with curiosity, I think that connects us. Because should places us in a a box. Should tells us that we need to be a certain way. Whereas curiosity helps us to learn about other people. Curiosity helps us to open up, to get us into a place of more vulnerable openness discussions that would actually connect us. Just the realization that another human being is different from you. And having the curiosity to actually go there, I think is incredibly powerful. Because one, it, it, it connects you more to what that other person is actually going through. It provides a platform for open, vulnerable sharing as well. And at the same time, it allows you to see another person. And when you see another person, that's when you actually can connect to them. Not for who they say or who they project towards the world, but for who they actually are within themselves.
0: Yeah, I love that. I've, I think it's just underrated how much power there is in everyone's uniqueness, right? Rather than yeah. coming all together with the, the same goal in mind that everyone has permission to live their own life. However, they they envision it and there isn't a right or wrong. There is just feelings, you know, and then what connects or resonates with you the most. And we have to go through so much to unlearn those expectations in society, right? So um, I really appreciate this chat. It's, it's been really refreshing to the <laughs> chat with you. Um, is there anything else um, that jumped out at you that you'd like to share? Um, if not, that's totally fine as well. I can, we can kind of close that off.
1: Um, I think the one other thing that I'd like to share is, is that as a man, first and foremost, I'm a human man is in that word as well. And just realizing that as a man, as a human, I have all of these other qualities within myself that make me up and all of these other qualities are in every other man as well. So I can't put anybody into another box in order to feel safe about myself in order to feel self-worth and good within myself how i connect with other people is through allowing them to be themselves and allowing myself to be myself as well because that is that is where i get inspiration from that is where i get connection from and that is how i feel better about myself and about others
0: that's that's so beautiful thank you for sharing i think i think that mentality would really bring a lot of betterment to the world. So I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing.
1: Thank you, Amanda.
0: And if you haven't already, I really hope you guys check out Tether app. If you're looking to find peer support along your journey, the more men I speak to, the more I see how important it is to have a safe space to express your emotions, make sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to be on the show or know of someone with a unique perspective, Slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram, and I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of The Hundred Masked Men.